so we sang earlier this morning that God is sovereign, and that's not a Bible word except in the KJV, but it is a true word, and it's a good word. When we say God is sovereign, we mean he is the highest authority, and that he will do what he says he will do, and not just that he is faithful to do it, but that no one can stop him. He is the highest authority, he is the greatest power, and he is in charge of the entire universe. And he is, I just want to give you three really quick ways or um, areas in which he is sovereign. And number one is he is sovereign to his own will. He will always do what he wants and no one can change his mind or talk him out of it or stop him. So we're going to go to Isaiah 46. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will also do it. We could take that scripture and I could preach you a sermon about the faithfulness of God, that he always does what he says he will do. But what I want to talk to you this morning about is that no one can stop him from doing what he says he will do. And that no one has authority over him, and not just that he is faithful to keep his word, but that he is unstoppable and there is no higher authority. Also from Isaiah chapter 14, the Lord of hosts has sworn saying, surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. This is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? No one may argue with God, no one may stop God, no one may counter him in any way that's even remotely equal. Amen. It's good to know that uh, if you want to obey him, you can't screw up big enough to stop his plans. And the devil can't either. And a bad president can't either. Next one. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So God says, just like the rain waters the earth and it just works, it grows plants. So in the same way shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will bring the life that he means to bring. It is unstoppable, just like you can't stop the rain from hitting the ground. His word is unstoppable. He is sovereign. He will do whatever he wants. And God is sovereign in world events. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just received a beating for preaching in Jesus' name, and they go and pray, God, give us more boldness so we can preach more and get more beatings. Nobody amen to that first service, can amens at second service. <laughs> Acts 4, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you had anointed. This is Peter and John praying, but they're referring back to the day Jesus was crucified. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, and the Jews all conspired against your holy servant Jesus, whom you had anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This is Peter, uh, most likely, praying out loud, but it's all the church together, um, all the apostles together. And Peter attributes the events of the day of the crucifixion 
to God's will beforehand. Herod and Pilate are not uh, relieved of any responsibility for their sinful decisions, but God planned Jesus' death. And Herod and Pilate, by their decisions, fell into agreement with God's sovereignty. They made the wrong choice and they're responsible for their own individual sin, but it all fell into God's plan. Even what the enemy means for evil, God turns it for good. Satan was going to kill God. God says, you know what? It was my plan to die. Come on. Yes, they did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. God is in charge of world events. That should give you a little relief and a little less anger about a current or past president. Come on. God is sovereign. And I'm not at all relieving any sinners of responsibility. If there was cheating or sin of any sort, they're, they're responsible for what they did. But it's all falling right into God's plan. He directs history. He directs the cosmos. And some of you who've been around for many years are thinking, Mitch, I know you have preached like three or four times that God is not in control. Guess what? He's not, but he's in charge. Right? You've heard me say God is not in control, and he isn't. You are in control of your decisions. You are not a pre-programmed worship obedience robot. Hello? And you can't say, you cannot say God is in control, meaning that everything that happens is the way God planned it. Because if you say that, then you are saying that since you, the day you were baptized, everything you've done has been perfectly God's will, and you never made a sinful choice. And nobody here would say that. So I'm saying God is in charge, and his, his plan for the history timeline of the universe and the spirit realm and human history will come to pass. And no one may stop it, but you get to choose whether you are a part of that or not. Hello? He is absolutely unstoppable. There is no authority greater than him, and he is in charge. And only what he plans uh, comes to pass. But you get to decide whether you're a part of that or not. Matthew 5, 45, Jesus said he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. God is sovereign in the weather In world events, governments, economics, he is sovereign, and it all happens to all of us, all at once. Hello. He's sovereign, but he is good. Jeremiah 18, the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look at the clay in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull it down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build it up and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and say to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. God told the prophet Jeremiah, I want you to go to the potter's house, and I want you to watch him spinning the wheel, and he's got water on his hands, and he's forming the clay pot. Everybody with me? You've seen that before. They're pumping the the table with their foot and and spinning the table, and he's forming that spinning bowl. And, And then God prophesies to Jeremiah, and he says, Look, that's Israel. That's you. 
in my hands. I can do whatever I want with you. I'm the potter and you are the clay. And he says, but, it's just astounding. God says, but if I say, you bunch of disobedient wretches, I'm going to destroy you. And you repent, I will change my mind. And do something different than what I said. And then he said, and if I say I'm going to bless you and protect you and, and encourage you and prosper you, but you refuse to obey me, I will change my mind. Is God sovereign? Yes. Does it depend on our obedience? Yes. God used the word repent about himself two times with Moses. God said, I'm going to just destroy everybody. Um, th this is it. And Moses says, please, God, one more chance. Have mercy. And God says, okay, you changed my mind. We are in a dance with God. That, that he is sovereign and he's the lead in the couple. Hello? <laughs> but we get to choose whether we follow or whether we step on his toes. But in this dance, we get to follow his lead and agree with him or not. Hello? God says an entire nation can change my mind. If you will repent of your sin, I won't destroy you. He says, if I say I bless you, but you refuse to obey, I won't bless you. And then he tells, says to Jeremiah, tell Judah, I am fashioning a disaster. But if you will repent, I won't do it. So nobody can stop him. He's the potter and we are the clay. But we can, we, he, he's so humble, he lets us have a part in what goes on. So God is sovereign to his own will in cosmic and human history in the universe. He's also sovereign in world events and nations. And he's also sovereign in your life. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by the grace of God. God responds to our faith, but even our own faith is not mine. It's a gift of God. I'm saved by grace, through faith, but that faith is not of myself, it is a gift of God. God gave me the faith to respond to his grace so that he can save me. That's how sovereign he is. It's pretty amazing. Lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before he made the world, God knew you would exist. He planned your life. He planned every day. He planned your relationships. He planned your job. He planned every dollar. Everything is planned. Good works. He planned, I have a good plan for this person's life, and she's going to do this, and she's going to do this, and she's going to do this. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, what? That you should walk in them. You get to choose whether you obey that or not. And no, God, I want to go my own way. I want to pull a Jonah. You cannot defeat the sovereignty of God, but you do get to choose whether you say yes and amen to it. Acts 13, 48, one of the apostles preaches, and then it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. There's how sovereign God is in your own salvation. All those who were appointed for salvation believed. That's how much a gift of God your faith is. 
I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe God picks some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. I'm told elsewhere, God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to knowledge and truth. But that verse says what it says, and I'm not going to take the power out of it by trying to explain it away. It says what it says. Those who were appointed, rather than getting into a tornado of questions about, well, why does God do this and that with this person or that? Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart and all that stuff? I'm just going to fall on my face and thank God that he picked me. And it's going to make me in terror and thankfulness. I better respond correctly because he did pick me because I'm here. He is sovereign in your life. He has directed you into his kingdom. He has pulled you and drawn you into his throne and into his presence. And then we have a, we have a choice. Am I going to respond to that or not? Next scripture is Genesis 45, verses 5 and 7 and 8. This is the story of Joseph who was beaten up by his brothers and sold into slavery and then he's lied about, falsely accused of sexual harassment by his boss's wife and then he's put in jail and mistreated there. And at the end of it all, when he meets his brothers 40 years later or something, he says this, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph attributes all that to God. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. They're the ones that beat him up and sold him as a slave. They lied to the slave traders and said, this is our slave we're selling you. It was actually our youngest brother, younger brother. God... He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And jumping five chapters forward to more later in the story, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. Joseph is astoundingly gracious to his brothers who had betrayed him in a terrible way. How is it so easy for him to forgive his brothers? Because he believed in the sovereignty of God. I don't know how to make that connection for you, but Joseph, because he attributed the events to God, it was easy for him to forgive his brothers. He didn't blame them because he knew it was all God's plan in the first place. I'm not at all claiming that God has ordained all the sin that's been done against you. He doesn't plan that you were abused or, or whatever, but, but Job in chapter 2, when his wife tells him, just curse God and die. Job says, shall we indeed accept good from God? Shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job says, I thanked God when it was good. Should I curse him when it's bad? Meaning, this is from God. And we know it wasn't. The devil was doing it. But Job attributes it to God, and then God says Job didn't sin when he said that. I don't know. You're going to leave with more questions than answers, but I hope you're encouraged. I don't know. Did Jesus accept both good and adversity from his father? Yes, he did. It's going to be the same with us. We know God is good and trustworthy in all things, but trouble comes, and it's for the salvation of others and the betterment of ourselves. Job took it. Jesus took it. It's not going to change in our lives. Romans 9, 
You indeed, O man, who are you to argue with God? Will the created say to him, the creator, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? And from the same clay to make one vessel, that means a pot or a dish. From the same clay to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Of course he does, and we know it. But Paul says you're, you're pointlessly complaining, whining to God. But oh, we are professionals at that, are we not? God, why is this happening? And some of it's just whining. Some of it is heartbroken tragedy. I don't mean to make light of that. A lot of ours is just whining, but some of it is just truly terrible stuff. But it doesn't do any good to argue with God. Why did you make me this way? Why is this my path? Why is this my life? I don't know. God, why do I have to go through cancer three times and those other people didn't? Why do they get to have a happy, easy marriage and ours is miserable? Why do they get to have four or five healthy kids and and we've got these health problems in our family? Those real questions. That doesn't do any good. You know, when when Jesus told Peter he was going to die by crucifixion, Peter looks at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, live your own life. I will do what I want with you. I am the potter. You are the clay. So Peter goes off and gets nailed upside down to a cross. They put John in boiling oil and he didn't burn. Why did Jesus do that? I don't know. Maybe you didn't know that. You know, some of you are looking shocked. The reason John was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote Revelation is because they had tried to put him in a huge cauldron of boiling oil and he didn't burn. So they're like, we're not going to try to kill this guy again. He's obviously like a god or something. So they just shoved him off into an island in the Mediterranean. That's where he had his visions that are the book of Revelation. Why did God bail John out of his physical suffering and Peter had to be crucified upside down? Live your own life. Are you going to argue with him? It doesn't do any good. God, why does that person have the same job as me and make more money? Why does that person is not nearly as smart as me, but they make more money? I don't know. Live your life. God, why did I have to have that happen to me when I was a kid? Why did my spouse have to do that? Why did my kid have to do that? I don't know. It doesn't do any good to compare or whine. I'm sure there are many, many Christians in closed countries who have suffered brutally and been imprisoned and wonder, why do those American Christians get to sit in padded chairs in a heated room and call it church? And I'm stuck in a bamboo prison. It's all perspective, folks. Friday night at 9.30 or 10, we finally got running water for the first time in 17 days in our kitchen, praise God. And the first time we have a stove and a sink in like two months together in the same kitchen. And perspective, I mean, like the rest of the house has got stuff all over it and the kitchen is nowhere near done, but we are like living in luxury. Trump, we're in the penthouse at Trump Tower, you know. We have a sink with running water and we're not garden hosing and running it up and down the basement to the other oven and it's just first world problems. It's total perspective, but it's just, it's amazing what we're not thankful for and what we can get wound up about missing out on or not having, or why do I have to do this and they don't, and let God be the potter. Let God be sovereign in your life. 
and not in a blaming way, but in a thankful way, a humble way, an obedient way. God's sovereignty, Joseph's trust that everything was going to work out, even what his brothers and the devil meant for evil, God, his trust that God had worked it all out, and then all those years later, he sees why God did it or let it happen. Pick your language, whatever you want to say. He, Joe, uh, Joseph says God did it. But he sees why. Now, at the end of the story, he's like, I, I'm here. You sent, me, God, you sent me here for evil. God meant it for good so that I can save everybody's life. So you take all the tragedies and pain and sacrifices and all the stuff you've been through and you just go and give it away. Minister to everybody around you. Save them. So let God be the potter. Let him make you who he wants to make you. It's in God's sovereignty that you will find your identity and your purpose. It's totally surrendering. Hello, you just sang that. We just surrender. God, it's all you. I surrender. Just surrender to God and let him be sovereign. And there is where you will find yourself, which is just shockingly amazing. That that's where you'll find out who you are. When you ask your creator, what are you making on the potter's wheel? Hello? You don't get to define that. You don't even get to discover it. You just get to be told who you are and why he made you. And you'll see it's not told in a dictator way. It's joy. It's like, look at this. Look at this thing I'm making. Isn't this flower vase just beautiful? It's where you're going to find your identity. It's where you find the instruction of your life and who you are and why he made you and what you're supposed to be doing is in God's sovereignty. So somebody is thinking, okay, Mitch, I love God's sovereignty. I know it's true. I understand the scriptures. I like the idea that God is in charge of all the world events. I like the idea that God is in charge of my life because that relieves me of some responsibility and actually gives me some great peace, and it should. But then somebody's asking, well, if God is sovereign in my life and, that's, and he's the one that decides who I am, why don't I know that yet? Why don't I know who I am? Why do I feel like such a misfit? And why do I feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing yet or who, why he made me? And I have some answers, maybe, that will apply to some people. I don't know that it'll apply to everybody. But if you're asking, okay, I believe in God's sovereignty, but I don't know what that means in my life. I don't know who I'm supposed to be and what he made me for and what am I supposed to be doing? Well, one of the reasons you may not know yet is because... You haven't been listening. I don't know that doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies to some. You're not listening. You're just running through life doing what you want, doing what's easy or doing what's fun or doing what's going to make you the most money. Um, you're not listening. And so you do these things that you think you want. You buy these things you think you want. You go to these places you think you want to go, and, but you're not consulting the Lord in any of it. And, or maybe you are, but all you're doing is asking him to bless it. You're not asking if it is his sovereign will for this school or that job change or whatever. Um, you're not really listening. You need to listen and he will tell you. Some of you, he did speak to you and you know it, but you didn't obey because that didn't sound like what you wanted to do. And so for two weeks or 30 years, you've been in the wrong place. You've been on the wrong road. C.S. Lewis says the wrong road will never become the right road. You have to go back to where you got on the wrong road and get on the right road. 
You're never going to talk God out of his will. You're never going to change his sovereignty like, God, I wanted to do that, and so I did. Or, God, you told me to do that, but I, I didn't want to. That was scary. You got to go back and do it. So you didn't obey what he did tell you, so why should he give you more? Or you disobeyed and you got on the wrong road, you have to go back and get on the right road. I don't know what that means for you, but maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's a marriage that you quit on when you weren't supposed to. Um, maybe it's rebellion in your teen years, and you've never associated all the rest of your problems in life with the fact that you just fought your mom and dad when you were 15, and you didn't listen to them. I don't know, but you need to go back and make it right. I don't mean leave your current spouse and go back to your former one, but you go make it right. Between you and God and whoever you need to forgive or who you never need to ask forgiveness, go back and get on the right road. 20 years ago, when you were 26, you were just absolutely in revival. You were excited. Life was full. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit, experiencing the glory of God. And then he said, hey, I want you to go be a missionary in the jungle. And you put the brakes on that. And now you're in your 50s and you're like, well, I don't know why I never feel like I know what I'm doing and I don't fit in and, and I don't know what God's will is. for like, yeah, you do. you do. You knew 30 years ago, but you didn't do it. I hope that's not you. If it is, God can, God can still fix that. He can still fix that. I said he can still fix it. Yes. Maybe you truly believe you married the wrong person because you were in sin, you weren't living for God, or you knew you were in sexual sin, but you just kept on doing it anyway. Don't get a divorce, but make it right with God. Go back and make it right with God and with the people Maybe some of you have heard what God says you are or who you are or what you're supposed to do, but you didn't believe him. It's like, well, that's too big. I don't know enough to do that. Maybe it was as small as I want you to volunteer in the children's ministry, and it was either laziness or I don't want to commit or I don't know enough, uh, or maybe it was as big as some decision in your youth that changed your life. I don't know. But maybe you heard, but you just didn't believe that you could do it or that that was God or you need to believe. Some of you knew it was God and you quit when it hurt. You obeyed for a while, but then when it got expensive, you quit. And so you've never known since then those good works that he prepared ahead of time for you. Maybe, here's another option, maybe a lot of you are actually in the will of God, but you don't know it because you think there ought to be more than this. Hello. Maybe a lot of you are actually in the will of God, living God's plan for your life to live in the Grand Ron Valley, work your job, go to school, raise your kids, serve in this church, love your neighbors, and you're like, well, it ought to be more exciting than this. Like, if I was really anointed and in the will of God, I would be on the stage at Bethel or Elevation. You know, if I was really serving God, I would be on YouTube. No, maybe, maybe God's plan is this undramatic. Maybe it is this simple and quiet and peaceful and every day. Hello? Maybe it is this normal life. 
not excusing your secret anxieties and sins and habits and things you need to get healed and repent of. I'm just saying maybe you are you, maybe you are the person God created you to be, and you're just disappointed that he didn't make you a celebrity or a rich person or somebody with a big ministry or whatever. Maybe actually you are where you're supposed to be um, and you just need to get over your own expectations. Come on. I heard a story just this week of a pastor in Seattle who took one of the largest churches in Seattle. When he became the pastor, there were 4,000 people and he grew it to 400. In a a brief matter of just a few years, under his pastorship, the church went from 4,000 to 400, and he is in despair, and he's wanting to quit, and he's begging God to let him out of this job. I'm obviously a terrible pastor. I'm a miserable preacher. What in the world do you have me here for? And one day, one of the mullahs from the mosque in Seattle walks into his office, and he says, I was fasting and praying and seeking God the other day, and a, a man in a robe of light walked into my office and told me that everything I believe is wrong and that I needed to come to this office right here. He named you, and he told me, my servant, pastor so-and-so, will tell you the truth. Jesus appeared in the mullah's office and said, my servant so-and-so, go to this address. He will tell you the truth. When he thinks he's a total miserable failure at ministry, Jesus says, my servant. Come on. Come on. Maybe you're living the life God had planned for you. You need to get over some expectation. Mostly what I think is that if you want to find out who you are and what God made you for and what are you making out of the clay here, Potter, is that you're asking the wrong question. Because you're asking why, and you're asking to understand rather than asking to obey. You're never going to understand your way into obedience. You obey first, and then you will understand why. You obey first, and then you will understand why. You're never going to understand or learn your way into obeying God. As you obey, as you go to the jungle or to the children's ministry or into the school system, or into trafficking and ministering to drug addicts or whatever, foster parenting, as you go, you will discover. (laughs) If God is sovereign, then I don't ever really have a decision to make, ever, about anything. All I'd have to do is listen and obey. My, cho- my decision is whether I obey what God wants her to do or not. But my dear daughter here who's going to graduate school in a couple weeks, she has a couple of really very, very different options. She's got full ride scholarship offered to Eastern and she can be on the track team and pole vault or she can go to Florida to Jesus school and, and I don't know what God wants from her. But she does not have a decision to make. She has a fast to make. She has to hear God, and then if God, whatever God tells her, then the decision is, do I obey or not? But it's not about deciding which one I like better, or which one I want, or which one will benefit me more. It's, just, it's, it's not about, well, God, what, what do you want me to be? It's, God, what do you want me to do today? And these options are so different. I told her, I said, this will define the rest of your life, what you do here. 
because your social circle, who you marry, um, all of it. And I was in a very similar situation at her age. I had a a statewide full-ride scholarship. I could pick any university in Missouri, and it was all 100% paid for, plus cash in my pocket. And God told me to go to a small Christian school that was going to cost me tens of thousands of dollars. And, and, And that's where Sarah and I met, and neither one of us really knows why we went there, except that God wanted to play matchmaker. And... I told Aaron, I said, if I, had, if I had just gone what made the most sense financially, you wouldn't exist. Right. God, what do you want me to do today? It's obedience. rather, And in the obedience, you discover as you walk in one day at a time, not worrying about tomorrow. There's, today's got enough trouble of its own. I obey today, and I obey the next day, and I obey the next day, and you just walk into your destiny. Looking back, you find out who, you, who the potter was making. Amen. Amen. God is sovereign. Trust him. Trust him in the great things. Thank him for it. In the disappointments, the things that didn't work out like you thought, the things that you think are disasters in our nation or our state or your personal life or the state of the church or whatever it is, trust his sovereignty. The more clearly you see and trust his sovereignty, the easier it will be for you to forgive those around you who are stupid or wrong, just like Joseph. And you should have so much peace. I don't need to know anything. I don't need to understand anything. I don't need to know why. I don't need to figure anything out. All I have to do is ask God every morning, what do I do today, Master? Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that no one can stop you, and that you are faithful and you will never fail to perform your word and your will. We believe that your will is perfect, that you are trustworthy, that you are good, that you are a redeemer and a savior and a lover. Thank you so much for the extreme peace we can have knowing that you are on the throne and there is none other. There is no name above your name. No one may thwart your will. No one may annul your word. You will have your purposes. All we need to do is obey. We can't make anything happen. We don't have to make anything happen. We just obey. I bless every person here with peace that passes understanding as we put our understanding aside and embrace your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all. You're in the kingdom for such a time as this. It's not an accident. Amen.